The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. awesomeness of youth camp, uh, although I will tell you that uh, I thought it would be kind of rough, but it was actually really awesome. Uh, I had a plywood bed with a um, surprisingly thick and luxurious mattress like that. Was that good for your back as it was for mine, Courtney? It's incredible. And um, it's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, in the middle of the night, there was pretzels uh, flying in the dark. Uh, there was footballs flying in the dark. Um, there was uh, incidents in the dark that uh, caused people to start bleeding, which we still are unsure exactly what happened. Um, but <laughs> boys' cabin is quite rough. So we survived youth camp, which is awesome. And as part of uh, youth camp uh, survival, uh, we want to thank uh, Courtney uh, Snalem for coming to youth camp. And so we have a special gift for her uh, for taking four days of her life. Uh, to come and put it in, uh, serving our youth and being there. So thank you, Courtney, for doing that. And, and he wasn't going to arrange his own gift card, so, or his own thank oh, you card, thank so you. I did. <laughs> All right. Well, I'd like to thank me for going to youth camp. Thank me very much. Nice job. Let's give me a hand. Okay, it's awesome. Love me some me. That's right, Jesse. So youth camp was awesome. It was cool to see the kids. You guys are raising some great kids. It was awesome to see them. I just plug in and just get excited for Jesus, have a great time there, have good attitudes. Uh, we didn't have any uh, real times where we had to, like, get on a kid or correct them or say, hey, you know, you're having a problem, which when I went to youth camp, there was constantly kids having problems and getting pulled out or sent home and things like that. Uh, but this camp was really good, and either our kids are way more sneaky than we were or else they were just really awesome all week. So good job, guys. It was really fun to go. And Silas is raising his finger like, yeah, we're pretty sneaky. So you got stories to tell? Or what happens at camp stays at camp, right? There you go. What happens at camp stays at camp. So except for Jesus, we'll bring him out. Let's close our eyes and pray. Uh, we're going to go on to part two of our message, Small Enough to Change the World. And just continue to talk about what that looks like in our real life. So Father, we thank you uh, for your word, God, that shows us, Lord, everything that we need to live a life God, that's worthy of you and a life that can change the world around us. We pray that we would get a faith today that springs up in our heart, God, and grows out in our life, and that we could live it throughout the week. We ask your Holy Spirit would show and teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, turn to your Bibles in Matthew 25, chapter 31 to 46. Uh, if you can do that, we're going to jump in. We're going to read through verses 31 to 46, and that's what we're going to teach out of. Uh, what does it mean to live small? You know, we want to live big, we want to do bigger things, you know, or a very uh, online world. Uh, it's not better to have less followers on your YouTube channel. That's not better. It's not better to have less likes on your posts online. It's not better to have less money. It's not better. There's not a lot of things in life that seem better when they're smaller. Very few exceptions to that. But in God's kingdom, he talks about the first shall be last, the last shall be first. He does a lot of things 
backwards. Jesus came not as a king, but as what? As a servant, right? So God takes our way of thinking and he turns it on his head, turns it on its head to do smaller things that increase and grow into bigger things. And so that's what we're going to learn about today is not just the idea, but then the practicals of how do we implement it in our day-to-day life. So Matthew 25, 31 to 46, I'll be reading out of the NIV. And it says, when the Son of Man in his glory, now if you don't know, he's talking about Jesus. The Son of Man is specific language used about Jesus. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Now there's an important reference right here because sheep are representative of God's people. Goats are not. If you actually are into the satanic and into occult worship and things like that, a goat is a symbol that is used in Satanism and in occult worship. And so there's a a distinct difference being made here, that the people that are following God will be separated from the people that are following self, flesh, and the devil. They'll be separated when Jesus comes back. He's talking about the future, not the past, but the future. When God comes back to earth, which he will do someday, Praise God that he died for us, that he rose again, that he went back to heaven, and he's left us here to do a work, and he sent his Holy Spirit to empower us to do that work. But there is a day coming when he will come back to this earth to separate the righteous from the unrighteous, the followers of God from those who have rejected God. And here's what will happen. It says that he'll put his sheep on his right, he'll put the goats on his left, and then the king will say, to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father and take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For, and here's what, where it gets into some activity that they were doing. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, at camp, we saw a lot of this, at least that I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I don't know if anybody out here is a germaphobe. Okay, I'm a germaphobe. Okay, it was only recently in my 40s that I can actually go to the bathroom in a public urinal that is not flushing well. Like, it just scares me even to go in a dirty bathroom. That's too much information, but it freaks me out. Like, I can't go to the bathroom here. I'm going to hold it. This place is a mess. And so... I've learned to be able to do that now that I'm over 40. I finally broke them free. Let's close my eyes. Okay, but I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of dirty bathrooms. Okay, I don't like gross stuff. Josh knows that quite well (laughs) from our working days. But this is camp. Okay, a kid pulls out a drink. We had a three liter of orange crush imitation soda from the dollar store that Silas brought. And for three days... That disgusting and sick bottle of fake orange crush with no fizz left in it was passed around a dorm of 20 boys. Drinking out of it. And the only possible way for three liters of soda to last 20 boys for three days is guess what? Backwash. Because if you actually drink it and keep it in your mouth, It empties out after 20 boys take a drink. But this thing went on for three days. And now we know 
how the wine kept on getting passed around at the wedding with Jesus. Backwash, praise God. All right, drink, and it will go back to you. Drink, it's like kingdom-minded here. But there was a sharing. No one went thirsty. No one went hungry. People were sharing everything. Kids eating off each other's plates, off each other. It was wild. But this verse is talking about activities that the followers of God were doing. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. It says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Now, here's a question. If he says, when did I see you a stranger and invite you in? Well, in order for them to see him as a stranger, they had to not recognize him. Okay, so what this is saying is that he came in purposely by disguise and interacted with us. Well, Jesus doesn't do that. Well, the Bible tells stories after Jesus' resurrection of him walking down the road to Emmaus with other people who didn't know who he was as he talked the Bible through with them, and they had no idea who he was after he rose. So God sends people in our lives either angels or people that he cares for, or even possibly he himself at times, to come and mix into our life to give us a chance to respond and show his heart or not to show his heart. And he watches that, and he sees that, and he looks at that. The person that you see hungry and you get a prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, do you want, you ought to buy them lunch right now. When you're at the grocery store, Instead of being angry that it took too long because the person had 16 items in the 15 express lane, instead of 15, and your OCD has you counting every item that they have on the conveyor belt, and you can't believe it, and you think it was super godly of you to not say anything. You're like, boy, God is working in me because I could have said something. I got really angry, but God has helped me with my anger, and I didn't say a word about their 16th item. Maybe God would have you go a step farther and not only hold back your anger at the 16th item, but before they can pay to pull out your debit card and hand it to the cashier and pay for their 16 items. And to go a step further, right? To go the extra mile when you're asked to be inconvenienced, to go beyond that. But God puts people in our lives that we have an opportunity to serve and to love. And this is saying that he noticed all of those times. And then it goes on, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, but Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison, and we didn't help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. 
there is actual consequences, eternal consequences, and consequences on earth for how we respond to the people around us. Say, well, I thought I only get saved because Jesus died for me, and I confess my faith. That's salvation, so I go to heaven no matter what. That's true. It's based on faith and not on works. But Paul said that if you show me your works, right, that he said, I will show you my faith by my works. That's what he said. So in other words, if you truly are a follower of Jesus, your actions will line up with that, and you'll begin to live that way. And so when God puts people around you for you to reach out to or to minister to, if you are someone who responds by ministering to them, it is an evidence that you have truly put your faith in Christ and that you are following after him. If you don't do that, then regardless of what you said verbally, your actions and your life are showing that you have not actually made that commitment in your heart to be a follower of Christ. And the actual word says if they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. In other words, it's a heart issue, not just a word issue. And our actions show whether or not we're actually coming to faith. And so he's looking at these things, but these are small things. Now I want us to look at what he didn't say. Let's go through what he did not say. And these are small acts of love. If you look in your notes, there's a couple of blanks there. It says small, and the first one is acts of love. But here's what he did not say. He did not say that you solved world hunger and thirst. He didn't say huge things here. Blessed are you because you solved world hunger and thirst. He didn't say that. He didn't say that you eradicated poverty, that you ended loneliness. He didn't say that. He didn't say that you healed everyone that's sick. Now, we love that because the Bible talks about new believers healing people that people that follow Christ can lay their hands on the sick and that they will be healed. And I've been in church for a large part of my life, and many times what I have heard is that if we can just get back to true faith, like the early church, the church of Acts, when God first started his church after Jesus went to heaven, then we would lay hands on the sick and they would all be healed. Okay, but historically, if you actually go back and you read through the word, of God, and you actually read even secular historians that wrote about the church of that time, not all who were sick were healed. And they had faith. Jesus had just left. The Holy Spirit had been poured out. Things were moving. Not all who were sick were healed. Paul himself suffered and had prayed with a thorn in his side, had prayed three times and prayed over and over, God, heal me, heal me. And yet God left him with it and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And he left it there. Jesus, who had complete, perfect infilling and anointing of the Holy Spirit, prayed for the sick, and some of them were not healed. In fact, he left a whole town because they didn't have the faith for him to work in his healing. And so the mark of God working in your life is not that every time you lay hands on somebody that they get healed. That's in God's control, in his timing, in his perfect wisdom. What is in our hands is what we do for those who are not healed. And he says, I was sick, and you cared for me. See, historically speaking, God worked through the church to heal. That's why hospitals all across the world have Christian names to them. Because the hospital originated really in early Rome when people were sick, 
They were left to die. They were put out from society. They cared from themselves so they wouldn't get other people sick and they wouldn't spread plagues and they wouldn't do those things. But it was early believers that began to take people into their homes and into places to help and to heal them and to take care of the sick. And during some of those plagues, many believers were just completely wiped out. And they thought the church might be completely destroyed because believers were dying. Well, where's the power of God? Why aren't they all being healed? Well, they were modeling Christ. They were suffering and taking on other people's sicknesses, and many of them were dying just as he died, and yet showing their love. And many people gave their life to Jesus because they saw someone taking care of their dad, their uncle, their child that was sick and putting their own life on the line. And even ended up dying, taking care of their loved one, and then they look and see that, and they're like, who's this God? You know, I know a pastor that had a church, and the worship leader that had been, they had been coming to church for a, a few years and eventually started out at guitar, ended up working their way up to becoming the worship leader. They had an old record with some felonies on their uh, record. They'd served some jail time, about seven years in jail. Came out of jail, came to the church, started at the bottom, serving, loving Jesus, had been radically transformed by Jesus. Came onto the worship team, eventually became the worship leader. And a few years in, someone in the church found out that he had a record. And this just happened about two years ago. Found out he had a record. And started talking to everyone else in the church about this person's record. And how can we have someone serving on the stage that has this felony? How can we have somebody doing this? And it's a danger to our church and just all these different things. So it started this whole uproar in the church. And so eventually, the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, came to the pastor and said, we need to have this person step down. And this pastor said, okay, show me the scripture on that, and then we will do that. Now, when I read the scripture, it talks about everyone who is in Christ as a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that not many who are noble are called, right? And he goes through different scriptures with them and talks about the new life in Christ and says, this is what I read. Now, show me yours. It says if somebody in the past has a record and has changed their life, and as a follower of Jesus, that because they've done things in the past that they cannot serve from the platform. And the answer was, well, I understand that, but sometimes we have to also use wisdom. And his answer was, well, where do we get wisdom? Our wisdom comes from the Word of God. So again, find it in the Word and bring it to me. And so some of these leaders who were the main leaders had been there for years. It even bought an one of them specifically was like an adopted grandfather to the pastor's kids, had bought their wedding dress, all of these things. Said, if you don't have this person step down, we are leaving the church, all of us. And so he called me and was talking to me. He said, what do you think? I said, well, if you throw the gospel out now, it's lost forever. You don't have a gospel church anymore. He said, that's what I think too. So what are you going to do? I'm going to let them all leave. So we let them all leave. And this person who was the one that even bought the wedding dress for his daughter didn't even come to the wedding. So we write your whole family off. Been a part of life for years. All these leaders left. We're out. So they lost uh, 20 families of the church. And it's a church of about 200 people. 20 families gone that follow these other people because they didn't want this person with the record and they didn't know the whole story. So all this is going on. And in our talks and encouragement and faith and praying, I just kept saying, do you know what? If you stick with the gospel that Jesus wants preached, that he died for, God will build the church. 
God will build the church. What ended up happening, as all this is being watched, eventually all these people leave, all this chaos happens, the dad of the worship leader, who's not a follower of Christ, calls his pastor, says, we need to get together, gets together, and he says, I have never seen anyone stand with someone in that type of situation, let alone my own son. He says, whatever you've got, this Jesus, I want him. And his dad gave his life to Jesus. And then what happened is they have had, for the last 12 months, almost every week, you look at their Facebook feed and stuff, and they're posting pictures of new baptisms. And just the wave of people giving their life to Jesus and getting saved has been crazy. They're larger now a year later than they were before all the families left. The church has grown. Because God came in and the gospel is just exploding it. Because people sacrificed for those that were the least in the church. Right? I just saw a picture posted of a two couple, a couple that got saved. The wife gave her life to Jesus. And then a couple months later, the husband gave her life to Jesus. And the pastor standing there at the altar doing their wedding vows. And she's in her wedding dress. And they're getting married. And the whole family's being built in the way that God designed it to be just this last week. It just keeps happening. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. Because it, it was given over to God, not for the biggest person in the church that had the money and the influence and all those things, but for the least, the felon, the one that people wanted thrown out, but that loved Jesus. And back in the early church, that's the kind of thing that was happening, is that people were throwing reputation, comfort, their own life desires out the window in favor of doing small things for small people and caring about the least, caring about the hungry, the stranger, the oppressed, the sick, taking them in at their own peril, giving them their money at their own peril that we may not have enough, giving their own food at their own risk that we may not have enough food. There's verses that talk about out of their great poverty, welled up generosity. It wasn't that they had so much they were just giving away extra. There was a sacrifice of the little that they had to give it to the little people that God put in their life. And God took those things and did big things. Reading that verse 35 again, it says, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. These are small acts of love. I was a stranger, and you invited me, and I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. It didn't say that they emptied the prisons. It says that they went into the prisons. Right? There's a difference. They went into the places where people were suffering, into the places where people were having a hard time, into the places where people were isolated and rejected, and serving and loving them there. Loneliness in our society is huge. And when you're talking about small things and small acts of kindness and small acts of God's love, I'll tell you this, we use small things to make that happen. The smallness of your living room is bigger in God's hands than the bigness and the chaos of the world outside of there, outside of your home. If you will open up your front door and invite people into your little living room or into your dining room 
to have dinner with you, to love on them. Well, but I don't know if my house is good enough. Well, I'm not a great cook. Well, we're not always super clean. Well, my kids don't behave quite well enough. Well, like, there's a million reasons not to open your home. When me and Carrie first started opening our home, we would have all the way from morning to dark, the day that the people were coming over, we'd have this whole discussion on what's going to happen when they get here. Because I had all my anxieties. What will we do? Well, we're going to eat, she'd say. Then what? Because that takes, and I have all calculated, that takes like probably 20 minutes to eat. And then what? Like they'll probably stay for like a couple hours. Yes, they probably will. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. We'll see. That ain't going to work. I need to know. Well, we should have a game lined up. Okay, let's have a game lined up. What game do you want? I don't know. We'll do cards. Okay, we'll do cards. Great. I'll put the cards out. 15 minutes later. What if they don't like cards? <laughs> then what are we going to do? She says, well, I don't know. Well, I'll get a board game too. I'll get a board game. And then I would do this. And so I'd have all these backup plans and second plans and third plans and fourth plans and all this stuff. I don't know what we're going to talk about. And the people would come over into the smallness of our living room, into the smallness of just our home in this big, crazy world, into the smallness of my life, because it was very small at the time, very much just me and my home. And yet by bringing them in, God would start to do huge things. And they, people would leave, instead of two hours later, they'd leave four or five hours later. And I would, they would leave, I said, that was so cool, we should have somebody over again. And guess what? The next time we invited somebody over, I remembered that the last time it was so awesome and that God came and we didn't have to worry about what to talk about or what to do because God was there and it was awesome. No. Totally forgot. And the next time I'd invite him over, I'd say, okay, what are we going to do? She's like, we just talked about it. I know, but these are different people. What are we going to (laughs) do? Literally, I probably did this for the first couple of years. Constantly. What are we going to do? I don't know how to have people over. But God has used the smallness of our living room, the smallness of our dining room, the, small, there's the smallness of who we are by opening up and sharing to do huge things in people's lives in three different states. It had nothing to do with us being awesome. We're just people. Ask my kids. Just don't ask them here. Ask them privately somewhere. We're just people like you. But God will use it. If you think back through your life, I know you can remember a time when somebody said just the right thing at just the right time that changed the course of your life. Something you still remember. That somebody did something at just the right time. Somebody paid for something for you. Somebody helped you with something. I remember this kind of little elderly lady. I gave her $100 or $200 or something to pay for her electric bill. Totally forgot about it. At the time for us, it was... You know, we did it. It was just like probably 15 years ago. We did it. And literally, in all the other craziness I had going on in life, it was just a small thing. It didn't matter. We didn't think about it. Didn't, it was gone. Literally, like 10 years later, I was talking to her. She's like, I just remember that time you helped me with that bill, and I just needed help so bad. And it just really spoke to me about God's love, and it was just so huge for me. I didn't even remember it. But it was a life impacting moment that was huge for that person. See, it's the little things that we do that we don't think much of, and yet they continue to have a lasting, growing impact in somebody's life. Because we water, 
we plant, and the Bible says God causes increase, and we put that little thing in someone's life, and it just continues to just to grow. That's what God wants us to do as individuals and as a church. How can I make a difference? Well, we need to start an entire homeless uh, place where all the homeless can come and live. Well, that's possible. We got big dreams. But they start with small things. You know, park your car on the side of the street. Talk to that homeless per- person and say, hey, you want to grab a burger? And instead of just handing them a burger, why don't you go take them in and sit down with them? Have lunch, talk to them, hear their story. Maybe you would hear something that's incredible. Have a chance to pray with them. That neighbor, you're not sure, what do I do to reach him, man? I've been praying for him. Step out and just invite him over. Hey, you want to come over for a barbecue? Want to come over to my house? And just invite him in and let God start working through those small things. You know, oh, I'd really like to bless that person that seems like they're struggling financially, but I don't have much money. I've had people walk up and put a $5 bill in my hand and say, you know what? God just wanted me to give this to you. And they leave, and it just like breaks me. Because at the moment that they gave it to me, I looked just like I look right now, and I had nothing. I didn't have a dollar. And that $5 wasn't much, and when the Holy Spirit started leading them to go hand that $5, it probably seemed really stupid to them. Like $5 just barely buys you a Happy Meal, Lord. And they're an adult. That's not going to fill them up. Like, it don't matter. That doesn't make an impact. It won't change their life. And God's like, no, it won't. I change their life. You just do the little things. And then I go to work. We don't have to judge what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do. We don't have to filter it through our own wisdom and knowledge and say, but is it big enough? Does it matter? Will it make a difference? Will they care? I can go share that word with them or offer to pray with them, Lord, but I'm looking, it's not going to matter, so I'm not going to bother. We don't judge it. We just obey and let God do the work. When the disciples were wandering through the crowd looking for somebody that had a lunch and they find one little boy's lunch and they're going to bring it to Jesus, that had to seem pretty foolish because they were having discussions with Jesus that this whole crowd needs to eat. And he's like, well, let's see what's here. And they get that little thing. I mean, they could have just left it behind and come back to Jesus and said, you know what, it's just like one little lunch. There was nothing worth giving out. It's just small, forget it. But in obedience, it comes to him, and then he takes it and blesses it and multiplies it. So what God's calling us to do is those small little things. And I have seen in churches where, uh, even when we were in Bend, I saw multiple people come to know the Lord and end up in our church, and we say, what happened? How did you get here? It's a town with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Not bigger than Austin, but it was bigger than Pflugerville. And say, how'd you get here? And they start telling the story. Well, actually, it's really weird because when I showed up here, I realized that um, that person actually talked to me. This person, like, bought my groceries. And then I was doing this other thing, and this person over here actually stopped by my house, and then we talked, and they prayed for me. And it's like they point out, like, four or five people from the church and say, all of these people did all these little things. And then I realized one day that, like, they're all from this church, so I must must be important for me to come check this out. And they show up. And none of those people knew that someone else had talked to them. 
but God was doing it. It's like those old connect-the-dot pages where it's like, you know, one to two, two to three, three to four, four to five, and you're doing that, and it's no picture, and you're just doing, following the lines, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's a picture. See, God uses each of us as a little dot in somebody's life. And when we are obedient, he connects a line for somebody and a line for somebody. And if we all just follow through in that obedience, all of a sudden, one day in that person's life, they just look and they're like, oh my gosh, I see the picture. God loves me. God cares for me. And maybe they end up here at the beat church. Maybe they end up at the lead church or they end up at the bridge church or they end up at the dreamers church. They end up at another church in town. This doesn't say that when he comes back, he separated them by this church and that church and this church and that church. And he says, do you know what, Austin Stone, you did this, and the bridge, you did that, and dreamers, you did that, and the beat, you did that. It says he separated them by the sheep and by the goats, by the followers of Christ and by those that were rejecting him. Those that lived in obedience and showed a heart that had been transformed by God and those who didn't. Not by the name over the door of a church. See, we're all God's church. And so when we get to heaven, I say, God, I tried really hard, but our team didn't get as many salvations as that team. Doesn't work like that. God's going to look and say, oh my gosh, and we're going to all of a sudden realize that a lot of the people even that we ministered to and we're like, man, nothing ever happened, we're going to get there and realize that they turned into pastors, missionaries, leaders, in a different church, in a different city, in a different place. I'm in a, a Facebook conversation right now with a, a guy that used to be the dean of a Bible college that I attended. I only attended that Bible college for one semester, and then I got married. You weren't allowed to date, so that was kind of a problem. Although they did tell me when I left that, you know what, you'd already been with her for a couple of years before you came to college, so if you had told us the, the whole story about that, we would have let you date, but Meanwhile, I'm going to, go to Bible college and sneaking around on, on dates. So uh, I eventually just said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have to give up one or the other. And I just decided to get married instead. So I left. But I sat down. Gordon, you'll like this. I sat down with, the, with that particular dean of the Bible college in his office because I'd gotten in trouble for something at Bible college. And I sat down at, in a seat across the desk from him. And he was on that side of the desk, and he was in a big thick leather office chair with the arms on it and it sits high and firm at the desk now strategically on the other side of the desk they had like a $50 love seat with no cushions so when you sit in it you immediately sink almost all the way to the floor and you look up at the powerful man of God on the other side of the desk right it just kind of sets the tone and so I sit down in this little love seat and he says why did you do this and I said, I, I don't know. I just thought it would be funny. And he said, now this is his quote. He said, son, there's a black hole in your heart that will never be filled. And that was the end of it. Like, we didn't go on from there. He didn't, there was no redeeming value to it. There was no, nothing better. Now, it was a prank joke. It wasn't as evil as it sounds. It's a little overdramatic. But that was his interior. He's like, it will never be filled. I'm like, well, praise God for that. And I left. Now, all these years later, which this has been 25 years, I think, 24, 25 years since I was in that particular Bible college. Now, he was a man of God, had great fruit, had, maybe that was a bad day. Okay, but the guys discipled people, loved on people, built people up. 
And uh, all these years later, I'm in this Facebook conversation with him talking about church planting and building and encouraging teams and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm actually over in Texas now, and I'm pastoring a church there. And if I didn't end up in this Facebook conversation with him, he would never have known, never have known that I was in his life then and what God did over the years. And there's, I use that story, but there's plenty of stories where I, and the reason that I'm in this conversation with him is because he's somebody who, over life, even later, he ended up putting an online Bible college, and I went through some of those courses, and I've done a lot of training through his stuff, and he's built a ton into my life because he's a great man of God. But he would never know that a lot of the good seeds he's sown into this person who wasn't even going to be able to make it have turned into us having a church here. But a lot of the good seeds that he's, that he's sown into my life and a lot of the good seeds of other leaders that were small over the years grew and built out into something that I've seen a lot of people saved. We've been a part of a lot of great ministry things in different places because somebody just kept sowing small things. It wasn't the big thing. And so you don't know the person that you're ministering to, the person that you're loving on, the person that you're doing something small for. You don't know what God is doing in their heart. And then you couple that with what the next person's doing and just the whole compounding of it that's happening. God's at work. And if we will allow him to work in our lives, God will do big things through the small things that we put our hand to. Okay, let's bow our head and close our eyes. We're going to pray. And uh, I just want you, as, you know, as you pray, just to open yourself up and just ask that the Lord will show you the people that he's put close by your life that you can Maybe minister and start to do some things for. Maybe it's a neighbor that you've had a lot of hellos with, but you've never had a, hey, come on over with. Maybe it's a person at work that you've had a lot of little conversations around the water cooler, but never a, hey, let's grab lunch and let's talk. Or, you know, somebody that you've seen that's financially struggling that you thought about and prayed about, but you haven't stepped out to try to bring a blessing into their life. Whatever that might be, that God would take you to the next level to begin to step out in those things and to do them. Father, I just thank you, God, for your goodness. I pray that you will help us, Lord, to be able to hear your voice. God, to be able to see, Lord, in detail, God, the small things. God, give us your eyes, Lord, that see, Lord, in those tiny details. God, so that we can begin to really look closely at the people around us, the situations around us, God, and to take what you've given us and begin to apply it and to sow it into people's lives. God, some things that we have seem like, Lord, they're so little, but to people who are truly hungry, truly thirsty, God, they're truly lonely. God, just a small act of love and kindness can be overwhelming to them. Lord, give us the courage to do that. Give us the faith to do that. God, fill us with your love to do that, Father, so that when you come back, as we know you will, God, that you will actually separate out, Lord, and look at us and say, you know what, you were faithful to the little things and the little people, and you were faithful unto me. God, let that be our story, individually and as a church. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, next week is um, Freedom Celebration Sunday, and so what we're going to do is we're going to actually have baptism, so if you want to get baptized, talk to me. Uh, we're going to have a baby dedication, and then also uh, after that, we're going to go and head over to Fluger Park, which she already mentioned, but I'm just saying it again. 
because it's shaded over there. There's trees over there. We're going to provide chicken and Texas sausages and stuff as a church. Uh, but just bring a side dish to add to the party, and we'll have the main meats done. So we'll see you guys there. Invite a neighbor to that, because it's going to be a lot of testimonies, and we're going to give a gospel call, and we're going to believe that people are going to get saved. Amen? the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com slash give.